0: All right. Hey, it is so good to see you here. There are several of you that weren't here last week, and it's good to have you here. At the end of the service, Pastor Greg will be rejoining the church. Amen. Y'all will have a chance to vote on whether you're wanting to be a member of the congregation again. So I, I am going to give you that privilege today as the visiting Pastor Greg. It's Good to see you here, my brother. It really is. It's an honor to have you here. Other than it makes me nervous, when he's watching me on Facebook, I can't see what he's doing. <laughs> but now I can watch him if he grimaces or if he goes like this. Now I'm going to get nervous up here, right? So, but it's a good to see. You. And it's good to see all of you here this morning. Again, great, great worship this morning. Love that last song there. Hey, I want you to take your Bibles and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to teach you a new word this morning, that way you can go out of here being very, very intelligent this morning, and it's this word right here, see if you can pronounce it, thanatophobia, say it with me, thanatophobia, Thanatophobia. there you go, does anybody want to guess what that means? It means the fear of death, fear of death. Yeah, it's uh, two words. It's the word thanatos, which is the god of death. Uh, Thanos, if you're a Marvel comic kind of guy. And then phobia, obviously, is fear. And it describes an irrational or a kind of even normal fear of death. And it's something that's very, very common in our world today. There's a great deal of fear. If you read the literature... You'll see all sorts of things about the fear of death. Francis Bacon wrote, Men fear death as children fear to go into the dark. Samuel Johnson told of a friend who died, he said, At the sight of this last conflict, I felt a sensation never known to me before, a confusion of passions, an awful stillness of sorrow, a gloomy terror without a name. Fear brings a lot of death. or Excuse me, death brings a lot of fear. Let me get in the right order there. I, I deal with this all week long because the work that I do in the field is I sell final expense life insurance. So I'm talking to people about making sure they're ready to die. And I can tell you that death brings a lot of fear. What is it about death that causes so much fear? Well, I think it's the unknown of what happens when a person dies. Now, when I say what happens to a person when we, he dies, I'm not talking about the process of dying. Because obviously medicine, science, ad nauseum has explained to us all the biological, physiological processes that take place in a person's dying. I mean, we, we've got it down almost to an art. This last week, I was visiting with a client or a lead, and uh, they were sharing that their her husband was only expected to live through the night. So, I mean, they, they've got it down to such an art that they can even almost pinpoint when a person literally is going to die. Even the courts today can rule when a person is literally dead. So it's not the process. We understand the process. It's really more about what happens after a person dies. And again, when I talk with my clients, a lot of times I use this as a witnessing opportunity because I say, I can talk to you about getting you into the grave or into the crematory or whatever it is you're going to choose. I can talk to you about that. I can talk to you about the process. But what's more critical is what's on the other side. And that's what really brings fear to people. And there are really only three views, basically, uh, of what happens. Number one is that a person just ceases to exist, they just cease to exist. This would be what the evolutionists would say, the atheists would say. They would say that we are really no more than advanced animals, and animals don't have a soul, so when we die, we just literally die. We saw last week, Hawkins said that we're just a computer, and when the computer stops, it's finished, it's done, there's nothing afterwards, we're just dead. The second view of it is, is that the physical body no longer exists but the soul continues on eternally. That is, death is for a person, the escape from the body. Paul dealt with this uh, as he spoke to the Corinthians because in Greek philosophy, there was something called dualism. And dualism said, hey, the, the body is evil, the spirit is good, therefore the goal is to get rid of the body and to keep the soul. We see a version of that in our world today called reincarnation amongst Hinduism and Sikhism and other religions. That is, they're going through these series of reincarnations where they take on a physical body, but the goal is ultimately moksha, where they escape the body and they are one with the universe. The third view is that death is really Separation. It's separation of the body from the soul. And this is the view of Christianity. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James uses the analogy of the body being dead when the soul is gone from it. That is, there is a separation. And that's what death always is when you look at the Bible physical separation from the body, spiritual separation from God. Amen? So death always brings a separation. So what we're talking about today in this moment is what happens to our soul when we die. Do we go through endless cycles of reincarnation? Does it just all end or is there something else? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read it together this morning. Paul writes these words, for we know That if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, referring to this earth suit, the birthday suit that we got, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. We do that every morning when we get up, especially if you know King Arthur, right? You groan every morning, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And he's done that, and he's given us a promise as the Spirit, as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather... Be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now look at verse 8 again. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Some people would say absent from the body, at home with the Lord. What is he referring there? He's referring to the fact that in that very moment, the soul goes to be immediately with God. In heaven. Now, what we raised last week is which heaven? What is heaven? What is paradise? Because we need to understand as we're walking through the scriptures that there's, I'm going to use this word very lightly, there's two stages to heaven. First of all, there is the future heaven, or the eternal heaven, which is the new heaven and the new earth, that God will create at the consummation of the ages, and at which time we're going to receive our resurrection bodies. We saw that in in, uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. You can check it out later on. But I want to clarify something I said last week, because my wife, who is my best critic, said, you need to explain something to me. When I said that God is eternal, heaven is not. What I meant by that is this, that God is self-existent, that God didn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. Heaven has a beginning, but it does not ever have an end, so therefore it is eternal in the sense that it will last forever and ever, just like our soul will. But it's in this future heaven, this eternal heaven, this new heaven and earth that we're going to have the resurrection bodies, and we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to have the resurrection bodies that Paul describes for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But then the other is the intermediate heaven or the present heaven, where believers go now until that future heaven when we receive our new bodies and there's the new heaven and the new earth. So whether you're talking about... Uh, Present heaven, intermediate heaven, and by the way, those words are not used in the scripture anywhere. The, the word is heaven or it's the word paradise. It's referring to the place where we now go immediately to be with the Lord. And, and you can understand that if any of you uh, like to fly. Does anybody fly here? Okay. Have you ever heard of something called a stopover? You know what a stopover is? You know, you're flying from here to California, so they fly you to Atlanta, Georgia, okay? Which if you're on Delta, that's what they're going to do, right? Okay, which makes no sense, you know? Makes no sense at all, but it's a stopover. So, when you land in Atlanta, you know that this is a current place that I am for this moment, but my ultimate destination is when I get to Los Angeles or wherever it may be. This present heaven is kind of that place for us. It's on the way. It is what is called the intermediate state. Now, there are some wrong views that you need to be aware of, wrong teachings out there about even among those that would call themselves Christians about what happens to us. One of them is, they call it soul sleep. Soul sleep is the belief that when you die, you, your body goes in and your soul goes into a state of unconscious existence until Christ returns. That is, the soul literally goes to sleep. The body dies. One of the primary proponents of this is the Seventh-day Adventists. They write this, The grave is not a place of consciousness. Since death is asleep the dead remain in a state of unconsciousness in the grave until the resurrection when the grave gives up its dead. So in other words, when you die, literally they would say you're going to sleep. And they would use passages like John chapter 11 when uh, he's talking about Lazarus and uh, the disciples are asking what are we going to do and Jesus says Lazarus has fallen asleep. 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep, and they say, see, that's where it proves to us that we go into this unconscious state of sleep until the resurrection. The problem is, he's not talking about the soul. He's talking about the body, that the body goes into a sleep, so to speak. That's the way the the Scriptures describe it, because over in Matthew chapter 27, after Jesus' crucifixion, it says the tombs were opened and many bodies, listen to this, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. It doesn't say the souls of those believers were raised. It says their bodies were. So they would say that the body goes into sleep as does the soul But that's not what Scripture teaches. To be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. There's no sleeping that takes place, hallelujah. Second wrong view is purgatory. This is another unbiblical view which is advocated by the Roman Catholic Church. And in it, it says it's the place where the souls of believers go to be further purified from their sin until they are ready to enter into heaven that is there is a place if you want to say it this way, you're going to go to burn off the residue you're going to deal with the final issues before you get there so that that allows you to feel okay even if i screw up here i'm going to be okay because i can go to purgatory and purgatory is this place i go on the way to heaven but it allows me at least to deal with the issues in my life before I get there rather than going to hell. So that's where all Catholics know that they're going to go, and they can pay off their sin debt. Problem is, there's no scriptural teaching about this whatsoever anywhere. The basis, the foundation for this doctrine that they hold is from the writings of the Apocrypha, which we don't hold as genuine writings inspired by God. But the real problem with the idea of purgatory is what it says about the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. You better say amen to that. Because what it says is that Christ's death on the cross dealt with our original sin, but it does not deal with our present sins. So therefore, we are responsible for dealing with our present sins Thus, we do the different things, whether it's the sacraments or the rites or the good deeds or marriage or all of the things that they would say we do that gain forgiveness of our present sins. And if we don't get them all taken care of, then ultimately we have purgatory, which will burn off the residue, and then we can ultimately be in heaven. The problem with that is it is a disgrace to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ died... His last words on the cross was "Tetelestai," it is finished, and that was a banker's term that referred to a debt that is fully paid. Say that word, fully paid. What does that mean? It means if you go to the car dealer, which I did, and oh my, it was an expensive one. It was two thousand dollars. I didn't like it, but they stamped on my bill, it is what fully paid. You know what that means? If they come to me with a lawyer and saying, hey, we didn't get enough money out of you, we're going to take you to court. I hold up that sheet of paper that says fully paid, and they can't do a single thing to me because the debt is paid. Folks, I want you to understand, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't pay part of your debt. He paid the debt in full. Tedelestai, it is finished. So for the believer, the only biblical teaching is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, which is what Corinthians says. Paul says in another place, in Philippians, where he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He didn't say to die is to go into a sleep or to go to purgatory, he was talking about being with Christ. And he goes on later on in that same chapter in Philippians 1 to talk about the fact that If he were to die, he gets to go be with the Lord. So let's talk about this present heaven this morning, the intermediate heaven and the paradise in the time that we have left this morning, the short time that we have. Just a few things that I want to say about it this morning because Scripture speaks more about the eternal heaven, the new heaven and the earth, than it does about the present heaven, but there are some things we can know about. First of all, let's talk about the location of the present heaven. The location of the present heaven. So, where is heaven? Now, if you got little kids, that's the kind of question they would ask you, right? They'd say, where is it? Because they're trying to understand it, just like we saw those Art Linkletter quotes last week. You know, it's somewhere where people are hanging on coat hangers because there's no ground underneath them for them to walk around on. So where is the present heaven? Well, the the Scripture doesn't say, okay, we're going to give you a physical address or location, but there are some hints. Number one, it is up in relation to our world. It is up in relation to our world. If you read the Scriptures, when Jesus prayed, it says he looked up into heaven. John chapter 11, verse 41. It says in Acts chapter 1 at the ascension that Jesus was taken where? Up into heaven. It says in Acts that Stephen looked up into heaven. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians that he was caught up into heaven. And then 1 Thessalonians says Jesus will return. He will come down from heaven and take us up to be with him. So it would seem to be that in relationship to our world, however that works in the eternal nature of things, heaven is up. And that it is invisible to the physical eye as we know it. Now it used to be, interestingly enough, Greg, it used to be this was one of the things that people said, well, there can't really be another heaven or anything like that. But now there is a science a science of physics called string physicists. Anybody familiar with that? All of y'all are smart, intelligent people. But I want to read, this was on the uh, PBR website. It said, for most of us, perhaps all of us, it is impossible to imagine a world consisting of more than three spatial dimensions. Are we correct when we intuit that such a world couldn't exist? Or is it that our brains are simply incapable of imagining additional dimensions, dimensions that may turn out to be as real as other things we can't detect? Now, here they are, string theorists. I thought that meant they studied strings, right? I mean, that makes sense, but they're called string theorists. String theorists are betting that extra dimensions do indeed exist. In fact, The equations that describe superstring theory, and that's not strong string, it's just called superstring theory, require a universe with no fewer than ten dimensions. But even physicists who spend all day thinking about extra spatial dimensions have a hard time describing what they might look like or how we apparently feeble-minded humans might approach an understanding of them. That always has been the case and perhaps will always be. Well, you know what? The Bible's not feeble-minded because it tells us what that other dimension is. It's called heaven. But what does that say? Even scientists, physicists, string theorists are realizing that there are other dimensions what the Bible has been telling us all along. But then what about the nature of the present heaven? what can we learn about this present heaven? Well, one we learned last week, and I'll just reiterate it again, is that it is real. I I like what that statement made as they were talking about the physicists, that they now realize it is real. Real. Heaven is real. Jesus said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a what? Place. Now, Greg, I did some deep theological, exegetical Greek work this week. I studied the word place, and you know what it means? Place! It comes from the word topos. We get our word topography from it. It is a place, a literal place. When Jesus was talking to the, to the guy on the cross, the thief, he said, I tell you the truth. Today you will go to sleep. Today you will go to purgatory. Nope. It said, Today you will be with me where? In paradise paradise. And that word paradise in the original language was was used by the Persians to describe a garden or a park or an enclosure full of vegetables. They weren't talking about a nebulous location. They were talking about a literal place in the Septuagint. It's the same word that's used to describe the word the Garden of Eden as a paradise. And as far as we know, as believers, the Garden of Eden is a real what? Place. So Jesus is saying it's a place. But then we've also learned again that it is temporary because as Isaiah 65, 17, Revelation 21, 1 tells us that he is going to create this new heaven and this new earth. And you don't want to miss next week because we're going to do a rapid-fire study through Revelation 21 and 22 and look at this new heaven and earth. But then also I also want to say that it is dimensional. There is time. You know, a lot of times we we talk about there's no time in heaven. There is a sense of time. Now, it may be different from us in our concept and understanding of time. But as you read the Scripture, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, as the martyrs are standing before the throne, they say, How long? How long, O Lord? Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our time. Now, I'm not saying we're going to all have Swiss watches or Rolexes, but there is some consciousness of time because they're saying how long. And there is even space because as we read Luke chapter 18, there's the, the bosom of Abraham, and then there's another spatial location. So it's not just this, again, this nebulous space something that's out there. It is a real place, and there's time, and there's dimension, and there's space to it as well. But what I want to focus on in our remaining time is what will we be like in this present heaven? Well, several things, and there's so much more I wanted to say, and because of uh, me putting so many scriptures in there barb had to cut a lot of them out for you this morning so if you ever want any of them but she's trying to get it all in there because i wondered how she was going to get it all in that little panel space there but just some things that i want to say to you this morning is number one we're going to have a body that's suited for the present heaven many believe that when we die we just become disembodied spirits that we don't have a real form but when you really study the scriptures jesus has a form Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had a form. They had a body. Uh, and so as we study the Scriptures, there, there is an awareness that we're going to have some form of body that is suited for the present heaven. Now, it's not our resurrection body because that will not take place until the second coming of Christ. So I want you to understand you're not going to be floating around as little angels with white robes and halos around your head, okay? Okay? Okay, you're not going to be doing that. The thought of seeing Jim flying around was just a scary thought, amen? <laughs> That's right, yeah. No, we're, we're going to have some form in our present heaven. But second of all, we're going to be sinless. Look over at Revelation chapter 7, and this is the one I like. We're going to be sinless. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. We're going to be absolutely sinless. I love what it says here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, which is before the new heaven and earth. And I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them what? White in the blood of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur writes, In heaven we will finally lose all traces of human fallenness. Our robes will be white, which symbolizes perfection. Because without that, we cannot see God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So we are going to be sinless. No more dealing with sinful desires, sinful lusts, sinful thoughts, sinful feelings. No more unforgiveness. We will be sinless. But then third of all, we're going to worship like we never have before. We're going to worship like we never have before. In fact, if you back up just a little bit uh, in Revelation chapter 7, you'll see, or go down a little further, you'll see that kind of worship. It says that they had washed their robes, and they were saying, Therefore, before the throne of God, we serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter him in his presence, and they shall hunger no more. That is, we're going to see him as he really is. So we're going to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth, which is what Jesus says he wants anyway, amen? Because even in our world that we live in today with our scriptures, And the scriptures are perfect there in Aaron, but they don't tell us everything there is. It's not a total revelation of who God is. We could not grasp all there is to know about God. In fact, I would submit to you, even when we get to heaven, we're not going to grasp it fully in that moment. We're going to have the rest of eternity to understand God. Amen? But we're going to worship in spirit and truth, and we're going to worship Him without sin. No more hypocrisy as we talked about last week. No more singing songs, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus when we've decided we're going to go sleep with our girlfriend. Or I have just, you know, I surrender all when we're really saying, yeah, I surrender all except for this one little thing over here. I'm not sure I'm ready to, to give that thing up yet. But in heaven, there will be no sin. There will be no hypocrisy whatsoever. For the believer we worship like we never have before but then we're going to experience unparalleled pleasure unparalleled pleasure look over at psalm chapter 16 verse 11 and y'all need to get your bible fingers wet this morning because we're going to turn to a lot of verses this morning as time will allow us but psalm chapter 16 and verse 11 David writes these words, you have made me to know the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and we're going to talk about that later on, and at your right hand are what? Are what? Pleasures. You know, there's a lot of people today that say, oh, God is a killjoy. He just wants to take away all my pleasures. No, he wants to give you real pleasure. And in heaven, we're going to experience that unparalleled pleasure, unlike anything that we have ever experienced before. You know, we go to a dinner and we experience the pleasure of our meal. We go to a movie and we experience the pleasure of the entertainment. We go to a symphony and we experience the pleasure of the music. We go to a museum and we look at the pictures and we experience the pleasure of the artistry. We go out into the plains and we look at the mountains on the horizon and we experience the pleasures of creation. Well, one day we're going to experience pleasure in its fullness. But then we'll also have perfect knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look over there if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because here he talks about the fact in verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I have been fully known that is we will have perfect knowledge now i didn't say that we will know everything but our knowledge will be perfectly correct there's so much more we could say we will have eternal comfort look over in luke chapter 16 verse 25 i don't hear your bible pages make them make them make them do something so i can hear them flip them hard but here's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Jesus is contrasting, or carrying, or, or excuse me, uh, is carrying on this conversation with this person in torment, and he says, "Father Abraham, have mercy on me, not." Jesus, but Abraham. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the cool end of his finger and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your bad things, and Lazarus in a like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Let me tell you something. This life is hard. Amen. It is. And sometimes life in this world sucks and we go through things that are tough like our pastor has gone through or some of you have gone through as you've dealt with a life-threatening illness you've lost a spouse you've watched a child that has walked away in rebellion against God or has turned their back on you Uh, any number of things and and we feel sometimes at a loss what we're looking for is comfort friends I'm going to tell you there's not going to be a fulfilled eternal comfort here that comes in heaven amen And we're going to experience a comfort now. That's not going to be the case for the person that is lost because Abraham says you are now experiencing your anguish. So while they may be comforted by their money in this moment, they will suffer an anguish on the other side because they've not chose to trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to know true joy. But also I want to share one that we're also going to pray. We don't think about in heaven praying, but look back over at Revelation chapter 6, because this is again a sin in heaven. And we find them before God, and they are praying. He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God those that had died, now they are with God, and they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, there's that phrase, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell? And so we find in heaven that people are praying. It it kind of adds awareness to, to when you see that verse in Hebrews chapter 12, says that we're surrounded by a what? Cloud of witnesses, yeah, that people are praying. Now, that's not saying, as the Catholic Church again teaches, we need to pray to the saints so that they can pray for us because we have our great high priest. Why do I want to go through somebody when I have the high priest to talk to? Amen? And they're not saying, hey, send us your prayer request and we'll talk to the high priest on your behalf. No, it says they're praying to that high priest as we are praying to that high priest, but they're praying. But then also, when we're in this present heaven, you know, because people ask me all the time, do you think people in heaven are aware of what's going on here on earth? Well, when you study the scriptures, you find that we will be aware of what's going on. And I gave you different verses that you can read and look at, but when you look at the Bible, you find that the angels are aware of what's happening on earth. You find that, jesus christ is aware of what is happening on earth in the book of revelation where we just were a moment ago those that were slain are before the throne and they're aware of the suffering of their brothers you say but but wait a minute i thought when we got to heaven there was no more sorrow that we would have joy well we need to understand biblical joy at least as it is right now Jesus Christ knows what we're going through, but he has perfect joy in this moment. Amen? Amen. He does. It's something we can't wrap our minds around, but know this, that we're going to be aware. We're going to be aware of of what's going on. Again, that verse, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Can Can I take a little freedom here? There are people that are cheering for you. Is that okay to say that, Greg? There are people that are cheering for you. They are aware of what's going on around you. Now, there'll come a time when we won't because we'll be in the new heaven and the new earth. Amen? And we won't be needing to be aware of all that. But there is an awareness. Uh, Next, we will enjoy unhindered fellowship with God. There'll be nothing between us. And, uh, you know, I I think of the garden scene there. There, I, I can't wrap my mind around this, but it would say that in the garden, God would come to walk with Adam and Eve. That blows my mind. Does it blow your mind, Greg? That God came to walk. That there was an intimacy there. There was a fellowship. Because what do we do when we walk? Let's do not read into it things that we don't have to, but let's read into it what is there. What do you do when you walk? You talk. You share. You enjoy the presence of that other person. Unless you're married and you ticked your wife off, then it's not that way, Amen which is what happened with Adam and Eve. What did they do? They sinned and ticked God off, and now it wasn't a happy night. But but imagine now this perfect, unhindered fellowship with God that we are going to enjoy. And and again, I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't understand how I'm going to have that intimate fellowship along with millions of other believers, but the Bible makes it very, very clear. We are going to have unhindered fellowship to God. We're going to have entrance into His presence, not like Esther in the story uh, where she needed to go before the king and she was fearful of going before the king because if the king didn't extend his scepter, she would be killed instantly to know that we will be able to go right into his very presence and nothing will be between us. Won't that be glorious? will that be glorious? And then finally, we're going to enjoy wonderful fellowship with one another. You know, wonderful fellowship. You remember Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and along with him appears Elijah and Moses and they have this wonderful season of fellowship and it's so grand and glorious that Peter speaks up as the spokesman in the group and says, let's build a church right here. Let's stay right here because they were enjoying that company. will not it be great when we get into heaven and we enjoy that unhindered fellowship with one another? Which again makes me aware that if this, we're not disembodied spirits. We're going to know each other. I'm going to know you. You're going to know me. You're going to know your spouse. There's going to be awareness of people when we get to heaven. But that leads to the, the other thing that a lot of people will say is, well, won't heaven be boring? Ted Turner, our favorite little friend, millionaire friend, and founder of CNN said this, heaven is going to be a mighty slender place, excuse me, heaven is going to be a mighty slender space, and most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. Okay, at least he said one thing true. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Heaven is perfect, Who wants to go to a place that is perfect? Boring, boring, boring. What is boredom? Boredom is the sensation that something is missing in our life. So if you're sitting there on your couch and you're bored you're, you're you're sensing that something is missing everything is not there that you need for that moment whether it's the need to get on your motorcycle and go ride or whether it's to go play a baseball game or to watch football game or to go out with the girls or or to have a book to read or or, or something there's a sense that something is missing from us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that desires will be perfectly fulfilled when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen? Look over at Philippians chapter 1. I've alluded to this verse again. And again, I know this is more of a topical study today, but hang with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 and 23 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Why? Because when we're with Christ, our desires are perfectly fulfilled. Glory, hallelujah. None of us are going to be saying, man, I just wish I could make a little more money. Or, I wish I could uh, go on a few more trips. Or, I wish I had this. Or, I wish I had that. Or, I wish I had this. It's going to be perfectly fulfilled. Ted Turner got it wrong because in hell, it is desire unfulfilled for eternity. That's going to be boredom. It's going to be boredom. You'll never be fulfilled you'll never have your desires fulfilled and that's what boredom is i love that verse 1 corinthians 2:19 what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who what love him no eye has seen go to that next slide i think i have it there no eye has seen so the best job that i can do this morning and pathetic it is, I cannot, in human words, paint a picture that is adequate enough to describe to you how glorious heaven is going to be. And where that person is that died, and you, you placed them in their grave, their body went into the ground, but their soul instantly went to be in the presence of the Lord in a glorious grand place called Heaven. So what happens to us when we die? Well, our body stops functioning, but our soul continues on. You say, well, what about the unbeliever? Them too. Death is separation. Body from soul. So if the body of the believer ceases to exist in that moment, And the soul continues on, and they go to be in the presence of God in heaven. Where does the soul of the unbeliever go? To Hades. To the temporary place where they will reside until the end of time when Jesus sends them to the what? Lake of fire. So they're not going to just die. There is a group out there that teaches annihilationism. They say that when you die, you're done. Excuse me, when the unbeliever dies, he's done. There's no hell. Folks, I don't know where they get that from because I read a Bible that talks about a lake of fire where the devil, his angels, and all that are in the book of life, that's where they're going to reside forever and ever and ever and ever. So what I want you to understand this morning is when you die, that's not the end. And what I've painted for you inadequately this morning is that God wants you to be in heaven. God wants you to be with Him forever. God wants you to enjoy eternal pleasure and joy. He wants you to know life in its fullness. Everything that you originally were created to experience. He wants you to experience it all. But because of your sin... Because of your sin debt, you can't. That's why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to die on the cross so that by paying in full the debt, no purgatory, paying in full the debt, we can be made righteous before God and spend eternity with Him. But, if you choose to say no to that, then your destination is eternal hell. And and let me tell you something, my friends, this morning. Now is the time. Because when that time comes that you die, there's no, oh, wait a minute, let me change my destination. You aren't going to be able to go up to the ticket counter and say, hey, I'm sorry, I booked the wrong flight. I got on the wrong train. This is not what I meant. No, no, no. Now is the time. And you say, well, okay, someday I'm going to do that. How many of you have a driver's license? Raise your hand. Okay. You got a driver's license. Now, there's a lot of things on the driver's license. There's your picture, your favorite photograph of yourself. Amen? Oh, amen. And on that license there is a number on there that says that's your license number there's also something on there that says your date of birth doesn't it but you know what's not on there date of death none of us knows that god does but we don't it's appointed a man to die once i don't know when that moment is I could drop dead before this sermon is over. I buried my 93-year-old mother. She fell, struck her head, caused her death. Three months later, I buried my 17-year-old niece, killed in an accident on her way to her senior event as a high schooler. I was visiting with a client this week and uh, met with the husband, found out that his wife had just died four weeks earlier. And a month before his wife died, his mother died. And as tragic as that was, I went and then met with his granddaughter, who just graduated from high school, 17 years of age. She lost her great grandmother. She lost her grandmother. And then just a week earlier, she had lost her very best friend in an automobile accident. Three deaths in a two-month period of time. Don't tell me you know when it's coming. So my point is to you this morning, you need to make sure today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know for certain that if you were to die today that you're going to heaven, you need to settle it today. Because heaven is real, and so is Hell. You don't get to say, man, it's over. You don't get to throw the computer in the junk pile like Hawkins says. God created the soul for eternity. So where will you spend it? If this morning you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to make it heaven. To say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I cannot earn heaven. I cannot pay in full the debt that would need to be paid to get me into heaven. I cannot do it. There is nothing I can do to save myself. But I receive you today as my Savior. I believe that you paid in full that sin debt. It is finished. It is paid in full. And I embrace you, I believe in you, and know that in believing you, you've forgiven me of my sins and that I'm going to go to be with you forever. Isn't that what you really want today? Isn't it? Isn't that what you really want? You know it is, because God created you for him. If you're watching on Facebook, isn't that what you really want? don't you really want this? God wants you to have it. And you can receive it. If you're a believer this morning, how do you prepare for heaven? Well, think about it. I hope this morning what I've done and next week is just get you thinking about it a little more. Uh, You know, I I, I used to think, you know, why were all the old Negro growth spirituals that they sang during the civil war why were they always talking about heaven they didn't talk about life because they knew this world it wasn't going to get any better they were looking for what heaven think on it live like you're going and wake up eagerly expecting i'm not saying go take your life but you know if if god chooses to take my life hallelujah i get to go to heaven I'm not afraid of it. I don't want to die, though, because i got a beautiful wife and son and children and grandchildren. But, it, but even so, the glory of it is, they know Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. I don't see Him again. Folks, it just doesn't get any better than that. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Heads bowed and eyes closed all this auditorium. So I want to ask that question this morning. Do you know for certain if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? Again, not do you hope so, not do you wish you would, not do you think about, but do you know? If God were to say your tick-tock will no longer tick-tock and your heart were to stop, where's your soul going? This is serious, folks. This is not games. This is serious. Do you know? John said, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? If you don't, today is the day to get it settled once and for all. To accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't miss out. And if you're a believer this morning... Have you thought about the glory of heaven? It gets you through tough times. Get gets you through physical pain and suffering. Get gets you through mental and emotional anguish. Heaven. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you this morning for heaven. That we can know that to be absent from our body is to be present with you for all of eternity. Credible. May that thought of heaven fill us with joy even when life is full of sorrow. Assurance when we are afraid, direction when we're confused, hope when we are despondent. Heaven is our home. In Jesus' name,